0: The Water News is sponsored by Clearwater and Filtration, offering solutions for water quality, well operations, maintenance, and water storage management problems. Well, it's time for Water News with Steve Baker. Steve, let's start off today's Water News with a little cannabis farming success. Ah. What have you heard?
1: Yeah. There's There's been a push by some cannabis farmers that are going both green and also clean. That's great to hear. Uh, we're talking about sustainable growing. Specifically, I'm talking about Stone Road Farms. They're right here in Nevada City. I, I spoke uh, very briefly with Lex uh, Corwin, who uh, recently has shared his approach, which is he's an off-grid business and he's also a a biodynamic farm that's what he's put together he uses solar power he prefers uh, natural pest controls not that harmful not those are harmful chemicals and then also he uses recyclable 99 percent plastic free packaging so he's trying to it's 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 good he's doing the whole the whole uh the whole cycle of activities he's using ladybugs and predator mites for pest control versus chemicals. I mean, to me, that's very interesting. Now, decisions are, are also being made regarding how large his plants will be allowed to grow because, of course, they take water, right, as they get larger. So by doing this, it saves a lot of water, and also it accelerates the time to get his product to market. So it sounds to me like it's a business win-win situation. So that's, that's, that's very clever. As far as water goes, water source for their farm is groundwater, but not from one well. It comes from two different wells that are penetrating two different zones, which is a very smart thing to do. And it's reported that because of the nature of these wells, uh, they are really preserving and protecting against any kind of aquatic ecosystem impacts that might occur. And also they're more uh, apt to make it through water uh, droughts during, you know, for their water supply. So it's really a good thing. It's, it's nice to hear that farmers are talking about creating healthy farms with sustainability in mind. Mind.
0: Two wells. Well, that's an investment, but uh, well it, worth it. Well worth it. That's a good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it, Steve. Yeah. Steve. <clears throat> okay, a change of topic. Uh, what about our scientists' opinions about post
1: wildfire soil impacts in our watersheds? Yeah, probably many of the listeners have already heard this, but it's always been thought that the uh, there's more erosion. After you have a big burn on a on a uh, piece of our watershed, and you know because there's less there's less vegetation, and also it creates because the temperatures are so hot, it creates this impermeable waxy soil surface where infiltration becomes minimal and it's mostly runoff. And of course, that's why we end up with more uh, flooding issues down gradient from from uh, a a wildfire burnt area. Well, now there's research. It's research from the Nature Communications, and they're questioning this, this understanding. University of Michigan, U.S. Geological Survey, and Rutgers University, they've been monitoring two wet seasons after a wildfire that occurred over at Bobcat Fire. I think that's the San Gabriel Mountains. And they've been monitoring since December 2020, continued that monitoring till March of 2022. Now, they have concluded that water was being absorbed into this waxy soil. It's not being repelled. So totally the opposite of opinion. The the trees in unburnt areas, well, they're behaving the same. They're absorbing as predicted, water as predicted. Uh, The increase in water in the rivers uh, that uh, are located within the burnt areas are significant. And they feel that it's is not because of the soil, but instead it's because of the root systems of these of these old veg, the vegetations. And to me, this sounds like there's limited space for absorbed water to go, right? You have burnt vegetation. Well, that doesn't have a whole lot of real estate anymore. <laughs> so where's it going to go? It's going to flow down gradient and get into our rivers and cause flooding.
0: Well, that seems to be a total reversal of thinking. Are you aware of any other changes of opinion in the world of water?
1: Ah, It's now being recognized that produced water. Now, the produced water is what's produced when you're uh, drilling and preparing an oil well. Produced water that's generated from fracking has the same highly toxic chemicals as conventional operations from, from drilling an oil well. Okay. Now, water from fracking... It's not allowed to be used for irrigation afterwards, and conventional oil operations do allow that water to be used for irrigation. Well, there's a bit of a problem because both of those water bodies, you know, that, that water is toxic. So, there are now discussions that we need to look at long-term consequences. And that means that we have to ask the question, is there any bioaccumulation or any ecological risks associated with long-term exposures? And and this is through time. Now, they're, they're referring to things like nuts and, and, and uh, fruits like oranges and, and grapes. So, that opinion that we have had in the past and uh, have been allowing through our legislative process may begin to change pretty soon.
0: Uh, one more question, Steve. Uh, sometimes I've, I've, I've looked at other areas as a way of recognizing what may be needed
1: in our own neighborhoods. Do you do the same yourself? Yeah, you know, I do. I do. And right now, Arizona is on my radar. Uh, they're Groundwater supplies are are unregulated like us, and their rural areas are relying on groundwater. So there's a bit of a vulnerability there. For Arizona, they've attempted in the past to uh, pass a statewide groundwater law, but the rural water users pushed back on that. So what ultimately happened was that only urban water users became regulated. Well, the regulators assume that, uh, you know, that's okay because eventually uh, it will happen. But you know what? It's been years and it never did happen. So that's 80% of the state. Some 80% of the state is not, is not uh, really protective of their groundwater. So now what's happening is people's wells are going dry and there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it. Uh, what is interesting is, think about it, Arizona – is a business friendly state it's very republican and they're questioning why nothing's being done to solve this lack of groundwater problem you know it's it's this they're the ones that are actually pushing this and when they try to pass groundwater bills they die in committee usually so uh, let's see i think it was this past april the arizona legislature they appointed their own committee OK, that's going to be looking into this. They're going to start studying uh, the Arizona water supply. And what I'm thinking is, you know, looking at Arizona, maybe Nevada County can start its own committee also to look at the vulnerabilities that our own citizens have with their groundwater supply and possibly come up with some approaches that we, we can create to respond to that in a very fair way, because hey, bottom line, nobody wants to lose their groundwater supply, Looks like another example of, I told
0: you so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just see what happens. We'll just see what happens. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co.